questions um, to highlight things. Again, thank you, Todd, and, and our previous speakers. Because if you get a chance to <clears throat> listen to those uh, other talks, I really highly encourage you to to see how vast the Psalms are from one um, one extreme to the other. And uh, we've been seeing that as we've been going through the Psalms, and we'll see that again today. We'll be going through the royal psalms and the divine kingship psalms. And the psalms are a go-to for every situation in life. And that's one of the things I was really encouraged by Dave Wilson talking about. Not just the, the thing we do just for devotions or, or something that we start with. Does anyone know what a hype man is? What's a hype man? Does anyone know? It's that guy that comes out before the opening act or before the main act and gets everyone hyped up. <laughs> no, no. no, Todd is the hype man, capital H, capital M. Um, but the Psalms aren't that, and that, that was really encouraging to me because sometimes we take it that way. We take it as a thing that kind of gets, gets everything moving, gets our thoughts um, the right way, which is a good thing, of course. But there's so much more. There's so much more in the Psalms that we can go to. And like Todd, Todd said, the Psalms are rooted in word pictures and theology. So it's not just, it's not just like Romans, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, where it's just, it's very precise. Uh, but the Psalms can be precise, but they can also be very vast and very wide. And we can't forget this. And uh, it's good to keep that in mind that we read things differently. And in our church, we get that God is king, and that's what we'll be talking about a lot today. We understand uh, from our teaching uh, from the elders that God is king. We get that, and we're reminded frequently of this, and we want to go against any theology that that would teach us not to look at God as king. Any kind of salvation where God is not Lord is something we want to reject, and any kind of non-lordship salvation where you can be Christian, but Jesus isn't the sole person in your life. So what I want to do is show you that that wasn't changed. That didn't change when Jesus came on earth. That's something that's been like this for a very long time. And rightly, in these psalms, we're going to want to go to Christ, divine king. Well, that's easy. We're going to point to Jesus. But what we're going to do today, and even in the royal psalms, where we'll see Jesus, you could go as the greater David in in other ways like that. But what we're going to try to do today is take it in the original context of the psalm. So how can we understand this better? We're in a very different situation from these people that were writing these psalms. we aren't Israel in the sense that we have a monarchy or a theocracy. We don't have this set up in our country. And an earthly leader in our, in our country is, or any country is not sovereign no matter how much they might think they are. And we see that throughout biblical history and, and throughout regular history as well. But we do, me and you, we have lords and kings in our own lives as well as the world does. And again, anything we put before the Lord is something that we could consider a lord or a king in our own life that we are pointing towards instead of giving God the right uh, glory. And the thing is, is almost, if not all, are things that God has created good for us to enjoy. And we are just so good at warping them, at twisting those things into idols, right? I mean, there's not one thing on this earth that we can't make an idol, Maybe not you, maybe not me in, in some things, but it does not matter whether it's a person, a sport, a, a game, whatever it is. We're, we're really good at that, and, and it's, it's tragic. And we're going to see that in these psalms as we see the false idols and the divine kingship psalms 
we're going to see these false idols and uh, what, what God has to say about them. So the main point that we're going to get across, the thing we're going to be focusing on and going back to, is God's sovereignty in the Psalms. This is the lens we are going to be focusing on today. God is not a leader or a ruler who thinks he has control or that, that can be beaten. In other words, he is completely sovereign. He is not one who is powerful but not all-powerful, right? He cannot be beaten. God is either completely sovereign or he is not. There is no middle ground. And for instance, God's will for us is to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And to love our neighbor as ourselves. That is a chief end. That is, that is the, the Ten Commandments summed, right? But what do we do? We're not good at that. We, we fail on that every single day, right? So we see that uh, God is sovereign even over of these things in our own lives, and we don't love God the way he wants us to. And, but in the Psalms, we see real struggles. We see people that are calling out to God, how long, O oh Lord? Really wondering if God is even hearing them. If God even, almost it seems like, does he even exist? Is he acknowledging me? Am I out of his favor? And these aren't just platitudes. And it can be easy for us, to, some of us, to relate to that in situations in our own lives. And sometimes, if you're going through a season in life where everything seems to be falling in place, it can be hard to read those Psalms and say, you know, that's not my situation. But, but again, that's the beauty about the Psalms. We see the overarching theme from one end to the other in them. And, and a comfort for me is, is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that is not in the Psalms, but in Daniel chapter 3, um, it says this. And it's just very encouraging to, to me to think about God getting us through something. And, and this is what it says before they were going to be put in the fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered to the king and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of, our, out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So again, Trusting in God that he will take me out of this situation. But again, even if he doesn't, we're not going to follow you. So it's very encouraging to see when we're talking about these psalms. When we're, when we're reading psalms, we've got to remember the context that they're written. And we read different books of the Bible based on their context. We don't read Revelation the same way we read a historical narrative, right? We, we get that. The three rules that I have come up with for biblical interpretation... The first one is context. The second one is like it. It's context. And the third one is also context. So those are your three main things. I really think that 90-some percent of problems we have or theological errors that we have can all be solved by just reading these verses in context and not ripping them out and making them into something they're not. And that's what we're going to try to do in these psalms as well. Instead of reading these psalms in light of the New Testament, which we normally do, we're going to focus on the original context and what that meant to those people at that time. And we get to see this most Sundays from Jerry when he's preaching. For instance, in the book of Acts, we start with where these people are and what's going on in that time period, and then he extrapolates out towards our own lives. So we're going to start in the context it's common for us to think of the divine kingship and immediately go to Jesus, and, and we're right to do that. 
that's good. And, and royal, and think of Jesus as well, like I said about David being the greater, uh, Jesus being the greater David. But we need to remember that their, outs- their understanding of the Messiah is not like ours. And their glass is very dim compared to what we can see through, uh, see through the glass, basically. It's very dim, and their understanding of Messiah is not what we had. It's, it is the Messiah, but it's, it's still being hidden, in a sense, to them. It's not exactly like ours, but it is the same Messiah. So let's start with royal psalms. And I am going to go get my water over here that I forgot to pick up. The royal psalms are going to be focusing on the king in relation also to the divine king, as well as areas in his life that he is going through. And just off the bat, you will see that these are related to the divine king psalms, whereas Yahweh is king psalms as well. There's just, it's very easy to see how these will be together. And just as God's likeness is sacred, for instance, in Exodus 20, verse 4, we see, we shall not make any other gods, um, and we shall have no graven images as well. His lordship, God's lordship, is not to be usurped by man. So this king is king, but he's still under the king. So that's another theme we're going to be talking about in the royal psalms. And just as pastors are shepherds of the church under the true shepherd, the king was underneath the true king. So we see that, in other words, the, the, the chief shepherd of Gulf Coast Community Church is Jesus, right? And we have under-shepherds, which are our elders. In the same way, this king is like an under-king almost. In these psalms, we do not see a set structure. There's not A, B, B, A, or A, A, B, B. You're not going to see those kind of themes in them. However, we can perceive which ones are royal psalms by their content. And basically, they reflect different situations that are going on in the human king of God, in God's people. And again, remember, Yahweh is the ruler And also remember that the human king, this is not how it was supposed to be. God didn't, in other words, um, this wasn't the way it was meant to be. So if you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 8 very quickly, we're going to read a quick passage out of there. Chapter 8, and it's going to start at verse 4. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But th- that thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being their king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So we see in all aspects of this, in all aspects of our life, even when we do these things, God can use them for good. And that's what we're going to see in the Royal Psalms. The things that weren't not meant to be, God will use for good. And we see that in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where, where Joseph says to his brothers, though you meant it for evil, God meant it for good, to bring it about that many should be kept alive as they are today. So again, we see even in the evil, God can bring good out. Even in the reason behind the wanting of a king was not to focus on the true king, God can use this to glorify himself. So some examples that you might just want to write down for your own meditation on them. Psalm 2 is a royal psalm, and it's, it's, it's like a messianic psalm, basically. Psalm 18 
You will see uh, a lot of protection and saving as well. And you can see that in, in particular in, ver- in verse 2. Psalm 20, in verses 6 through 7, we see the king trusting in God. See his relationship to the true king. In Psalm 21, we see the king rejoicing in the Lord's power. So again, we see the connection between the divine king and the royal king. Some sub-themes that we have in the royal psalms, and we're going to go through a few passages here. Is The first one is the king's coronation or his enthronement. So if we go to Psalm 72, and just the first, excuse me, the first verse... It says, give the, king, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. So we see, um, we see the coronation or the enthronement of this king. And again, in, in chapter or Psalm 110, verse 2. Psalm 110, verse 2, it says, The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So we see this coronation or this enthronement of this, this, this uh, under-shepherd, this under-king. Uh, number two, we see the ideology of monarchy. In other words, how this king is supposed to do things. So when we go to, to Psalm 78... 78, this is a very long psalm, uh, 70 and seven, 70 through 72. It says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to the shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with skillful hands. So again, we see this is how it should be. This is how this king should lead the people. Third, we see this, this king uh, pray to, to Yahweh for help in battle. And we'll go to Psalm 20, which again we said was a messianic psalm. And we see there it says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of, God, may, may the, name of the God of Jacob protect you. He may, may he send help from the sanctuary and give support from Zion, may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. So again, we see prayers for help in battle in the day of trouble. We see him in praying about these things and asking the Lord to help him. Fourth, we see thanks for victory. And we will also see this again in the divine kingship psalms where a uh, big theme we'll see uh, the thanks for victory. And that would be Psalm 18, so just, just a little bit before that. Verse 2, it says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So we see he's thanking the Lord for delivering him from his enemies. And the last one, which we will not read because we're going to go through this psalm in particular, is the royal wedding, and that's Psalm 45. That's the last of the sub-themes of royal psalms, and we will go through that, so we won't read it at this second. Sometimes it seems strange or wrong to have these psalms because we want to focus everything on God. I think a lot of times uh, we can focus completely on God and not realize that a lot of Scripture 
is about humans and about what people are going through, especially Psalms, Song of Solomon. A lot of books are not just focused on the Lord, but they're focused on real situations of real people. We see God's close connection between the king and his king. And if, if we can go to First Chronicles chapter 28, just at the end of First Chronicles, we're going to be talking about Solomon here. And this is what it says. We'll see the, the very close connection between these two, the divine king and his uh, person king. <laughs> That's verse 5. It says, and, all of, and of all of my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen, the Lord has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. So we see even this king God has put in place. God has who he has chosen as king. So God has chosen this person. And we see even when we think of evangelism, when we're sharing the gospel with people, we're not the ones, let's say we witness to someone and they become a Christian. We don't save those people. It's not us, right? God has chosen to use us as instruments to proclaim his glory and to bring those people to him. So while we are, are a huge part of that, all the glory goes to God because it's not about us. And then same thing here. The king is chosen by the Lord. It's no surprise that many of these psalms are of David. David was arguably, inarguably, the, the greatest king and the one that was looked to throughout all the history of, of the Jewish nation. And this close connection is seen in Psalm 2, where we see David and God both referred to as kings in here. And we'll see in verse 4 it says, in chapter 2 it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds him in derision. So we see the divine king, and then down in verse 7 it says, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And we, we, we can point to Jesus during this as well. This is a messianic psalm. But we see the close connection between the divine and the royal kings. And again, one thing we need to realize is the, the stark contrast between this king and the kings of the ancient Near East. Does anyone know what they were like, what, what kings were looked at in the ancient Near East? They were looked at like godlike. So one of the best classes I ever got to take in my undergrad was an Egyptology class, which went through all the pharaohs and all of Egypt. It was just really interesting. I mean, that's just so neat, right? You learn about the pyramids, you learn about all these pharaohs and all this stuff. And one of the, the, the neatest things was to see how these people worshipped the pharaoh as gods. They were considered gods among men. And the stark contrast between seeing these kings in these psalms praying to the one true Lord, not focusing on themselves, is just, it's really refreshing. And even when we see the, the, the demise, not the ultimate demise, but the demise of David's throne at one point, we see all the more necessity for the divine king. So let's get into Psalm 45. That's where we'll be at for just a little bit here. And I didn't give you a lot of space on your outline to write in there, so I just figured if you wanted to write on the back, that would probably be your best bet if you wanted to take some notes, because we're going to go through this for a little bit. So let's read this, Psalm 45. Psalm 45, Your throne, O God, is forever. To the choir master, according to the, li the lilies... A maskal of the sons of Korah, a love song. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like, a, is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. 
Gird your sword upon your, thri- th- upon your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp and in the heart of the, in the, heart of the king's enemies, the peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your comparisons. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory places, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people in your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. That's, a, that's, that's smart. Uh, since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek you, seek your favor with gifts, the riches of, of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes, she is led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your father shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. So most commentators, it doesn't say it directly in the, the introduction of the psalm, but most commentators believe that this is a, a song of the marriage of the wedding between Solomon and his bride out of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter it would be. And God has promised to bless this marriage we see throughout this. And it's just interesting to see that even in the introduction it says, this is a love song, <laughs> you know? So uh, we see that this is a song of love, and while, uh, you know, some commentators have said they think this is God's love, it's probably better to say this is a love between these two people. In verse 1 it says, the person who is writing this, the sons of Korah, it says, my tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. That's kind of really beautiful to think about. He's saying, I'm going to talk, to, I'm going to talk about this situation in, in a way that I'm going to magnify everything that's going on here. It's just a really a neat way to see it. So through, uh, and that's verse 1, in verses 2 through 5, we see a right praise of this king. And we see many praises of the king here. This, this person is really talking up this king, and it's not in an idolatrous way. It's not in putting this king on a pedestal he shouldn't be on. It's saying this king deserves this because he is appointed by the Lord. And this, again, this is not idolatry. Going through verses 6 and 7, it says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. We see God is sovereign even over this king. This, this psalmist wanted to, to re, re, remind this guy, don't get too big, God's still over you. God is the one who will keep his throne, his own throne, into eternity. As, as good as this king is, it is given to him by God. And we also see a theme that we will pick up in our divine kingship psalm that we're going to go through, which is righteousness. This, this righteousness, this idea of righteousness, and we'll go through that when we get there. And the rest of the, the psalm through 8 through 17 is going to be focusing on the bride and wisdom for her, what she should do what the benefits of being this bride is to be following the king um, and, and all along those. This gives, uh, to, to give this man your all. 
And one of the things, again, is for me, sometimes it's, it's so hard to focus on these psalms because, like we said, we want to focus everything on God. We want to say the Bible's about God, not about me, right? And, and that's true. But again, we see here a psalm that's about a royal wedding. And we see examples in other places as well where God shows us pictures of how his created order should be. And we see here, it's just a beautiful example of, of the, the, the beautiful picture of marriage and how God is involved in, in blessing this marriage. So again, royal psalms are focusing on the king put in place by the divine king, things in his life from his royal wedding to his prayers to his conquering and things like that. And, and next we're going to go on to our divine kingship psalms. And again, we will see a blending in between some of the other psalms. A lot of these divine psalms you'll see have... Uh, commonalities with the hymns that Dave Wilson was talking about. Uh, a lot of times they just can't help but praise, you know. And again, we don't have a common structure for these psalms. It's not A, B, B, A or anything like that again. But again, along with the royal psalms, we can tell what's in these psalms by, by the context. The primary focus of these is the kingship of God or that God is the sovereign king. And again, that's the lens that we're going to go through these psalms. It is how God's people should view him as king. It is how the, the, the psalmists view him as king. It is also proclaiming, and this is huge too, God's victory over the forces that oppose a well-ordered and abundant life for his people. Some commentators think that this is referenced in Jesus' Lord's Prayer where he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And saying this is... God, bring your kingdom to earth in the way it should be. And this is what we're seeing with these divine kingship psalms. Again, that sounds like Jesus. One of the questions I have for us is, do we see God as the victor over every problem? Do we see him as sovereign over, over war, over the Middle East and what's happening over there, over uh, Jesse and I's sister, uh, my sister-in-law, Jesse's sister, in, in Africa with Ebola? Do we see God as sovereign over those, over our own idolatry, our own lives, our own addictions and stuff like that? These psalms, the beautiful things about these psalms is they can be sung at times of peril and at times of conquering. So, what do we want to remember when we're in a situation where it feels like God's not with us? We want to sing about him being sovereign over everything, right? We want to remember that he is in control of this situation. And again, when that time is over, in these situations, a lot of times it was after a war or something like that, the Lord reigns. I mean, that is like a battle cry, right? We, we hear, this is the one that won. So we can see it. this can be sung at very different times. So some of the themes that we're going to see are, are uh, as follows. God's work in creation, like we said also in the hymns. Redemption and judgment. And last, God's supremacy over gods of the nations and his care for those nations. So he's just not throwing them under the bus and saying, I'm just going to destroy you all. We'll see in the psalm that we go through that God is a, is a God of the nations, not just of Israel. Yes, he is the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, but he's also a God of the nations. So some of the psalms, just for your own meditation that you can look up, Psalms 93, 97, and 99 are your primary divine kingship psalms where you're going to be talking about. Every one of those starts with the Lord reigns. So that's what you're going to be looking for, the Lord reigns. They all, that's the first thing they say. 
And even in Psalm 96 has the same thing, but it's in the middle of the psalm. It says the Lord reigns. And again, the Lord reigns is akin to saying God has won. Can we say that now? Can, can we say even though things look terrible, even though uh, every time we wake up we're just dreading another someone being beheaded or something like that, do we still believe that God reigns? And to me that's something that's, that's comforting to know that God is in control of all these, even these evil situations. And there is a sense in which this victory is new. And, and in Psalm 96 we see that this involves a new song. So sing to the Lord a new song, right? So that's one of the themes that we see in, in Psalm 96. So some examples of themes in the divine kingship psalms are, starting with the kingship of God, like I said, uh, starts with that. The Lord reigns. Chapter, or chapter, Psalm 97, verse 1. Psalm 99, verse 1, we see the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. 93, verse 1 again. Second, we see God's work in creation. So if we go to, to Psalm 97, the good thing about this is you don't have to flip that much because they're all in the 90s. So if you go to Psalm 97, verses 3 through 5, it says, Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. This is a great example of seeing his work in creation, his control over, crea- over his own creation. And another passage uh, for your own edification for later is uh, Psalm 93, verses 3 through 5. We also see redemption, a theme of redemption in these psalms. Staying in 97, or sorry, going to 99, excuse me. Psalm 99, 6 through 8, we see Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, of, in the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave, him, gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God, and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. So we see this, this act of redemption throughout Psalm 99 at the end. And again, we see how starkly contrasted this is to the ancient Near East version of God, where man was, this man was elevated to a level of king. And again, we see that this, this God is the one true king. And we'll get to that again when we go through Psalm 97. Going to Psalm 97, in verse 2, we see the theme of judgment. It says, Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And last, we see supremacy over other gods. And again, we were saying God is an evangelizing God. In the same psalm, we see in 7 and 8, we see all worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. Again, we see judgment there, and we see also the, the mocking and the supremacy over these, these idols. So let's go through Psalm 97, and let's read it, let's, let's think about it, and let's see how this applies to these people and to our own lives. So we'll be asking you guys a few questions to think about, to chew on when you leave here. And let's start. Psalm 97, titled, The Lord Reigns. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. 
Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and the peoples see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boasts in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. It's just a beautiful psalm and a lot going on here. And we start with, again, the Lord reigns, this battle cry, the Lord reigns. And what's beautiful is we see the Lord reigns, and at the end we see rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord because the Lord reigns. So we're sandwiched in between the Lord reigning and you're rejoicing. It's the right actions to this reigning, basically, is what this rejoicing is all about. It's what we should do because he's reigning. So in verse 1, the Lord reigns. This is alone is a shout of joy. And this is something we can meditate on in your own uh, quiet times and whatnot. Just think about that. The Lord reigns. There's so much there. And also in verse 1, it says, let the earth rejoice. In other words, not just Israel, not just my people, (laughs) not just the people that call me by name, but a God of the nations. And we see in the psalm, it is, in one sense, and we'll get to it, it's, it's kind of in a mocking sense, but it's to evangelize this na- these nations, to turn from their false gods. So going through verses 2 through 5, we see the power of this God. And again, it says, the clouds of thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world and the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before him, before the Lord of all the earth. And this is a king that should be feared like no other. No other king in the ancient Near East that has ever been made up in the imagination of man can be said like this. In verse 2, it shows us his 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 uh, foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. That is kingly language. And again, we have a God unlike the other gods. We should think of Jesus as our cornerstone here. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. We see this theme picked up in the New Testament. Again, we should look at this psalm in the light of what they were looking at, seeing that God is their foundation, even in acts of of times when they don't know what's going to happen next. And also in here, we see a time when, when everything seems to be going okay. They're still concerned about this. We think of Jesus because he was righteousness embodied, right? So not only is Jesus righteous, he, he is the righteous one. He is righteousness, period, if you will. If this is true about God's foundation, then we should, this should be a warning to the other nations. If this is who this God is, his foundation is righteousness and justice. Their gods are not that way. In other words, every other religion is focusing on what you can do for this God in order for that God to bless you, right? It's a quid pro quo. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, right? So not this God. This God is righteousness and justice. And that's not just justice in the way we think. That's perfect justice. 
that's, that's not letting any sin to slide by, but thanks be to God that we have a sinless Savior that died for us. So this should be a warning to the other nations. Again, we see he's not just condemning nations. He's trying to bring them in. Through verses 6 and 7, I just called it true and false. It says, The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boasts in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. So in other words, in the first verse there, in, chapter, in verse 6, we see God is evident in creation because this king made the heavens. And, and just thinking about that and saying, surely those who make these idols, who make these things out of, out of bronze, out of wood, out of whatever it is, out of the very thing that this God has created, he's created the heavens and the earth, is, is, uh, is to put them to shame, right? Is to almost mock them. And it is evidence that this king... Uh, and it is evidence of this king that shame that should shame all those who create idols. And, and again, this isn't just about the nations. This was an integral part of Israel, right? I mean, what do we see throughout the judges? We see men turning to God, men turning away from God to, to their own idols. So this was a part of their own history that they knew a lot about. They knew a lot about making idols. In other words, physical idols, if you will, right? And, and, and obviously we do that in our own own hearts as well. One of the things I want to say about these two verses we see with these idols, we're a people, everyone is made to worship, right? We worship, whether it's God or whatever, you're worshiping something, I'm worshiping something at any, any given time. And we see this here, and this is a call to worship the God of these previous verses. So do we look at God that way? Do we, and one of the things I think we can tend to do is to overemphasize one aspect of God over the others. We're not hearing a lot about the love of God here. We're hearing a lot about his righteousness and justice. So if we think about that, right, we, sometimes we overemphasize God is love. Yes, he is. But that love is in the context of his righteousness and justice. So that's something that I need to think about a lot. Um, and I hope, I hope that's helpful for you too. Through verses 8 and 9, it says, Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. In other words, God is ruler over all. God's people hear of his justice and the righteousness of Yahweh and rejoice because he is king over all. And he's also the king over everything we worship because, again, like we said, we're really good at making things that God has created good in sinful ways, to use in sinful ways. And again, this isn't popular language nowadays. This isn't, this isn't popular to say, to say these things, to come out and call sin what it is, right? But we're called to do that. We're called to, to point people towards the one true God. Could it be that the psalmist is making fun and mocking the other gods in order to bring worshipers to him? So he's not just mocking these false gods just to mock them, right? It's not, that's not his end game. He's doing that so that these people can see their folly and can say, the true God who created the heavens and the earth, that is the God I should turn to. So again, even in his mocking, God is wanting to bring people towards him. It's just a beautiful picture of God. How about our own lives? What gods do we have that we have exalted over God? We can say it to ourselves every single day. Verse 10 is our application. It says, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. 
He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. So after everything we've heard about this God, we are told to love him and hate evil. And we see in, in the next book of the Bible, in Proverbs chapter 8, you don't have to go there, I'll read it very quickly. It says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance are the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. So we see, love God, hate evil. And in, in, in context of, of chapter 8 of Proverbs, verse 13, that, that love of the Lord is, is also involves the fear, fearing of him, a, a healthy fear of the Lord. And things haven't changed much since, since this time and since this psalm had been written into times right now, and even in times when Paul wrote in Galatians. Uh, we see that the love of God is practiced. We see there's a practice. It's not just, I love God. There is a right response to God because we love him, right? In other words, like we see in, in the book of James, faith without works is dead, right? And um, one second. We see in, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22, and 20, 22 through 24, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law, right? So we see... There is a life lived out. There's a life lived out by these people that, that love the Lord. It's not just some, I love the Lord and there's no, you, you wouldn't tell by my life, but I really love the Lord, right? So we see that these people, even in, in, in this psalm, we see these people of Zion, uh, the daughters of Judah, are these people that are following him, have the fruit of the Spirit, if you will. Lastly, we see he protects his saints in the same verse as he preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. So like Jerry said today, it was perfect. He said, whether he will protect his saints, whether here or in eternity. You know, God might not protect you in battle here, but he has you for eternity. He, he will not lose grasp of you. And again, what a comfort that is for us. In verse 11, we see the benefits of following this God. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. In other words, those that follow him walk in light and have joy. So we see the same thing today, right? Walking in light, not walking in darkness, and having joy. Not just happiness, but joy in in this. The same thing with this psalm was trying to tell these people at this time. And lastly, like we said, we have a call to worship, rejoicing. It says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. So in other words, the end game for this psalm is rejoicing. We should read this and say, that should make me rejoice. A call to continued worship. So if anyone here, I know we're not Presbyterians here, but does anyone know what the chief end of man is? as described by the Westminster Catechism. I'm using big words here. But does anyone know what that is? I had to look it up. What is it? Thank you. That is good. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's a good way to sum up this psalm and our right response to that psalm. Go Pittsburgh. Uh, (laughs) So to conclude about the divine kingship psalms, we not only see want to have a a right vision of who God is, but we also want to have a right response. We read and we react to these psalms. It's not just in a vacuum, right? We want to read these psalms and then live a life that's worthy of this calling. And are we, in other words, are we loving our neighbors enough to tell them that they are wrong, that that what they are following is wrong if they're following a false God, obviously lovingly and, and in the right context. But are we do we love God enough to love our neighbor that way? 
So conclude uh, this talk. I just want to help you guys, hope this helped you guys to worship God more and to want to worship him more, not just for head knowledge. And I think that's what we've all wanted as we've been able to teach up here. And I hope this has helped you see God as king in light of the context that these writers were going through, not just in the lens of Jesus. We can point to Jesus, and that's well and good. And we will get to that next week, so stay tuned. But we also see in this light, and we see how closely these psalms point in our own lives. These, aren't, these are living psalms. They aren't, they aren't dead to us, right? I mean, we see when we actually sit down and go through these, we see how these affect our daily lives and how they can affect us. So in other words, um, our faith is close to these people. These people, these Psalms, while we have more of a revelation than these people, we still have the same faith that they do. We hold God as king. So let me pray for us, and if you have any questions, I'd be glad to do my best to answer them. So Heavenly Father, uh, you reign you reign just as much as you did when you created the world as you do right now and will forevermore. And that is a comfort to us. That is a blessing. And we thank you for that truth. Lord, help us to live in light of that. Help us to live a life that is, is comforted by that and also one that is fervent to do good works, a people for your own possession who are zealous for good works. Lord, help these psalms lead us to a life of that, to bring more people to you out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.